Good morning. Brand new sermon series, The Parables of Jesus, the stories he told. The word parable reminds me of the word parallel. It probably reminds you of that too, because these stories go side by side with truth, right? Jesus used them to parallel truth that he's trying to teach us. This one is tricky. This one is tricky. We'll talk about the the, uh, parable of the bags of gold, and you've heard it read by Debbie and Curtis. You heard it retold um, by um, Laura just now. Um, So a couple of important details. We've got to read this parable in context. I would love for you to go home this afternoon, sometime this week, and read the entire chapter of Matthew 25, because this parable is right in the middle. And we need to know what happens before that. Jesus tells the parable of the 10 virgins. It's all about his second coming. Hey, I'm coming again in the sky. And I wonder if you're going to be ready. I wonder if you're going to be aware. And that's the parable of the 10 virgins. And then he goes right into this parable. So he's still talking about his second coming and what he wants us to be found doing, investing the things that he's given us, giving that stuff away, not hiding it in the ground, trusting in him fully. And then he goes on to talk about, not in a parallel uh, parable, but um, just in the factually that I will be your judge and I will judge you on your faith but it will uh, manifest itself in what you're doing with that faith. So a couple of details to uncover here today. Anybody see the moon this morning? Was anybody up early to see the huge moon in the west? I saw it. I think it was full. And it was so beautiful because it was setting in the west, and in the east was this great sunrise. And we know the God who hung the moon and who raises the sun in the sky, and his sun is coming again in the sky, his second coming. And when he returns, he wants to find us faithful. He, like the 10 virgins, be ready. Like the parable of the bags of gold we're talking about today, investing uh, what we've been given, and then he will judge who's in his kingdom and who is not. Let's come together in prayer before we tackle this um, parable. Father in heaven, open our ears to hear the good words in this parable. Help us to understand what it's really about. It's about faith and how to gauge it. And what we should be doing as we're waiting for your second coming, let us understand that we are called to live on our faith with acts of mercy. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, my Lord, my rock, and my redeemer. For the glory of Jesus, we pray. And in his name, together we all say, amen. We'll spend some time unpacking this parable this morning so that we better understand it. A couple of details, first of all, for us to think about. Number one, we have the ability, or we'll call it the faith, that corresponds with the talent or the calling that we've been given. In other words, as Laura said, one man was given five bags, another man was given two, one man was given one bag of gold, each according to his ability. And the point we're making here with point number one is God's not going to ask you to venture out, to trust, to take risks for him beyond the ability that he's given you to trust in him. Your faith in God is a gift. You're not conjuring it up. We're not at home rubbing our hands together. Lord, somehow magically give me more faith. We've been given faith. It's God's gift to us. He equips us. We know this from 1 Corinthians 12. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. God's Spirit is poured out. To one, there's given the Spirit of wisdom. Some people are wise. The Spirit gives other people knowledge. And by that same Spirit, faith. Faith is given to us. The fact that you believe is a gift from God. It's nothing that you have done. This parable is about our faith, and that faith is a gift from God. The the man comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, will you drive these demons out of my son? Please do it if you can. And Jesus says, if you can, everything is possible for the one who 
believes, the one who trusts, the one who has faith. The boy's father says, I do believe, but help me uh, uh, overcome my unbelief. In other words, the father got it. Lord, I believe, but I just need more faith. Would you give me? I understand that faith is a gift. Would you give me more faith? so that I can live out this calling on my life. Romans 12, 3, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you thought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance, look at, with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. God is a giver of faith, and he will not ask you to invest in this parable of happens to be about gold, but it's not necessarily about money. He won't ask you to invest, give away beyond your ability. But if he is calling you to do that, you ought to trust and you ought to give your life to him. Well, point number two, how, do you, how you handle your talents uh, is directly related to what you believe about the master. And we're using this word talents, which literally means it's a little confusing because in the, our biblical parable, it literally is a, a unit of money. It's a huge unit of money. It's about a year's wage. So the first guy was given about five years wages. Um, but we're going to talk about it um, in a more broad, the talents, the things you can do. And, and even beyond that, your time, your resources, your passions, the, what you do with those corresponds directly with what you believe about the master. If you think God is a hard deity, if you think he's a difficult master, what you do with the things you've been given will reflect those. And the third servant does exactly that. It's so interesting. I think you'll be surprised. I was by this passage we'll look at. We'll look at it at th- in three different um, translations. Uh, Psalm 18, 25 through 27, talking about God. To the faithful, you, God, show yourself faithful. To people who are blameless, you show yourself blameless. To the pure, you show yourself pure. But to the devious, God, you show yourself shrewd. You save the humble, but bring low those whose eyes are haughty. What does it mean for God to show himself shrewd to the devious? How about this translation? Same text. With the merciful, you'll show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you show yourself to be pure. With the crooked, you make yourself seem tortuous. I didn't know what that word meant. I had to look it up. It means to twist and turn. To the crooked people, God shows himself as, I think, difficult to understand. He's twisting and he's turning. For you save humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. One more, this time from King James. How about this language? And with the froward, thou wilt shoe thyself froward. <laughs> I looked up froward too. That means difficult to deal with. So this third servant had a completely disrupted and really profane understanding of the master. He thought he was a hard man. He thought he was difficult. So God showed himself to be hard and difficult. The first two servants knew the master to be trustworthy and merciful and worthy of hard work and taking risks for their master and for their kingdom. And how is it that we can know that this God is loving and gracious and merciful? If only there was some proof, and I say that sarcastically, the cross of Jesus Christ. Look to the cross and see if our God isn't merciful and loving and a giver of things that we don't deserve a rescuer for us in our time of need as sinners, that Jesus didn't have to give up the perfection to come here to earth, but he did. And he didn't have to take my place on an executioner's cross, but he did. That he didn't have to take my sin off of me and put it on him and pay the price for it, but he did. Loving and gracious and merciful. And when we understand that about the master, 
when we trust him, we take the resources we've been given, whatever it is, money, time, intellect, passion, the things we think about, and we give it away. We invest it. We give it towards eternal things. One of my favorite ways to think about God and his mercy is um, the story where Jesus is late, right? They, they call him to the city of Bethany. Jesus, come, your friend Lazarus is dying. And he could have gone right away, but he doesn't. He goes three days later, and by then Lazarus is always dead, already dead. And Lazarus' sisters are kind of giving Jesus the business. Mary and Martha, if you would have come earlier, he'd be alive. Why didn't you do that? And Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, though he die, he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then I think the most important question that's ever been asked in the history of the universe, and I'm not saying that for effect or to get your attention, I truly believe it. Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, the one who came to rescue us? Because if you do, it'll change everything about what you do as we're waiting for Jesus to come again and how he will find us investing for him. So we're only halfway through the sermon time-wise, but we're already going to talk about the conclusion because it's so surprising. The first guy invests, he's rewarded. Well done, good and faithful servant. Welcome to my kingdom. Second guy, the same. The third guy was afraid. And the results of that are surprising. We thought the story would end with this third guy maybe getting a mild reprimand or told do better next time. Or, you know, the poor guy was confused. But the master calls him lazy. And then it gets worse. Then he calls him wicked. And then it gets even worse. Throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I did a lot of work on this this last two weeks because I really wanted to have this square. And it's clear this is talking about hell. There's no other way to look. If Jesus come back, comes back and finds us not living our life for him, not investing, he's going to say, be away from me. You will have nothing to do with my kingdom. And that's a harsh reality. But let me be clear on this. It has everything to do with what he believed about the master. The fact that the, the third servant was thrown out, you can have nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with what he believed about the master. And that uh, lived itself out in the way he invested for, uh, for him. First of all, he knew that God was a hard man. Quotation, knew, because it's funny to think about what we know about God. Be careful what you know about God. Acknowledge him from scripture alone. Is it an interesting where our society is because we stepped away from scripture? Well, God wouldn't condemn that. That's love. Well, God wouldn't be hard about that. That's not my God. Let's know God from Scripture and Scripture alone, because if we start to know him away from Scripture, we're going to start to think, think wild, crazy things about him. Uh, friends of ours, this was 15, 20 years ago. I can't remember when, but I remember the conversation so vividly. They had us over for a picnic. It was nice, the back deck, the hamburgers. And the guy's mom was there, and we were all churchgoers. They went to another church, and we're talking God stuff, kind of surfacy. And she goes, you know, there's parts of the Bible where I just know God wouldn't do that. And I thought, oh, no. <laughs> And I didn't say anything because it was such a lovely afternoon. I just kind of let her go on. And the hamburgers were good. <laughs> but we can go there, right? The Bible has hard stuff in it. God confounds us. He makes us scratch our heads and go for a walk to think about that one. Golly. But we've got to know God from Scripture or else we, we turn into this third guy, kind of making stuff up about him. The first two servants knew him to be gracious and merciful. Uh, we do too. The Lord is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. He's good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. Um, 
the third servant also knew the master to be a thief and a swindler or a liar. Third servant thought God was a thief and a swindler or a liar. He says, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. That means taking someone else's crop. This guy had a totally perverted idea about the master and who he was a thief and a liar. We know God not to be those things. John 16, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Old Testament, Numbers 23, 19, God is not human that he should lie. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, I am truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the father except by me. That third servant also didn't trust that God would bless his investment. In other words, he thought he was going to give it away and lose it and then be punished. God is a blesser of blessings. When we bless others with the resources we've been given, he is a blesser of those things. There's no, there's no need to be fearful. We, we can trust in God. The Bible says we ought to trust God. The Bible says it's good to trust God. Psalm 27, some trust in chariots and in horses. In other words, the things of the world, but not us. Nope. We trust in the name of the Lord, our God. Psalm 44, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. <clears throat> John 14, 1, excuse me. <clears throat> Don't let your hearts be troubled, but trust in God and trust also in me, Jesus says. One more passage on trust from the Old Testament, Jeremiah. Now, as I'm reading this um, passage about tr a trusting man or trusting woman, contrast that person with the third servant and what the results are and what it means to trust God and what happens then and what it means to not trust him and what happens then. Jeremiah 17, the uh, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. He has confidence in him. This person will be like a tree planted by the water, sends out its roots, it invests by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought. And look, it never fails to bear fruit. Did the third guy bear any fruit? Nope, goose egg. But the one who trusts in God never fails to bear fruit. When Jesus comes a second time, let us be found busy, giving our lives away, trusting, investing our resources for the kingdom. Let's be found that way. I didn't really give you a space in your outline because all the space was taken up, but the next two sentences are really important. So if you're a note taker, turn it sideways and just write these in the margins. Your beliefs have consequences and your beliefs precede your actions. What you believe directly dictates what you'll do, and your beliefs will precede your actions. That, that's right. That's what happened to the three servants, right? One trusted God, invested. Second trusted God, gave it all away. Third didn't trust. He didn't believe that the master was good, and it preceded his actions. Really important for us this morning. Well, the final point, one way to know your faith is real is that it leads to good works. This is a measuring stick. This is all about faith. Getting into God's kingdom is all about trusting and believing the promises, but that shows itself to be real by what we do. We don't get in by doing good stuff. We get in by believing, which leads to doing good stuff. Long passage here from James 2. It's going to take me several screens. I'm going to read it slowly. Many of you know this clearly, but it really help us understand how our faith leads to these good works. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? 
In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. Now, some of you will say, I have faith, but you have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you faith by my deeds. You believe there's one God. Good. Even demons believe that. They shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, it was credit to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Got to be really careful here, because again, doing stuff to get into heaven is not the way this works. Believing the promise, accepting Jesus, giving my life over to him, receiving the new life that he's been given to me, now I'm a child of God, and because of that, I live out faith. I invest, I give away the things God has given me. I trust, I want to be found busy doing God's work when he returns a second time. And this goes, and I think directly to the idea of acts of mercy. And this is where we'll end. Now, specifically in the parable, it's talking about gold, money. Okay, we can talk about that. But I think in context, this is actually talking about acts of mercy, blessing people who need to be blessed. The Tim Tebow thing, man, I'll be there Friday. My favorite night of the year. Blessing people in need. It's so beautiful. That's what we're called to do. Why do I think this is specifically about acts of mercy? Beginning of Matthew 25, the 10 virgins, the middle part, the bags of gold, that's what we're talking about. And then Jesus says, and it continues, it's just a continuation. When I come back, I will judge. And I will let some people in, I'll let some people out. The redeemed and the unredeemed, the sheep and the goats, Jesus says. And the people wonder, well, how are you going to tell? And Jesus says, I was hungry. You gave me something to eat. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. You invited me in. I needed clothes. You clothed me. I was sick. You looked after me. I was thrown in prison and you came to visit me. And then they all say, when did we do that for you, Jesus? And he says, whenever you did it for one of the least of these, you did it for me. So quick recap of what this is all about. Jesus is coming again. We ought to be prepared. Parable of the 10 virgins. Second part, the parable of the bags of gold, what we're talking about today. Let's be busy giving it away, investing it, trusting. He's a good and gracious and loving God. He's only giving us to our abilities, not asking us to go beyond that. And thirdly, he will judge us uh, and our faith by what we've been doing while we've been on this earth. Let, let us be found faithful. When he comes again on that glorious day, the <clears throat> uh, clouds are rolled back like a scroll, right? The Bible says the trumpet will sound and there Jesus will be. Let's be busy giving it away. Let's be busy with the work of God, investing the resources that he's been giving to us. Some next steps for you to think about. These are at the bottom of your outline. Do you know God like the first two servants, loving, merciful, quick to forgive, slow to punish? If that isn't a God you know, look to his scripture and let it lead you to the cross and decide for yourself whether this God is loving and gracious and merciful. Number two, are you investing this faith that you've been given? You've been given a certain amount of faith have you been investing it? Lord, I'll just give it away. I'll trust. I know you'll refill it. I want to be found faithful. And number three is that pray about faithfully. And the word faithfully is so important here because it's got to be motivated by faith. Otherwise, we're just doing what the Bible calls civic righteousness. We want to be faithful to givers, faithful doers of God's word. 
take greater steps of mercy. You'll come forward in a few minutes, this holy and beautiful meal. It's a meal of remembrance for sure to remember Jesus's sacrifice, but it's more. Jesus is present. He's filling you with faith. He's filling you with trust. He's filling you with his love. He's forgiving you through this meal. When you come forward, receive that. Be motivated, be empowered by the faith and trust that God has for you to live your life for others, to give your life away. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this word. It's challenging. Um, I hope I unpacked it in a way that honors you, that um, you're coming again. We ought to be ready. We ought to be busy with your work. And you will separate the sheep from the goats by judging who used their faith to live out acts of mercy. Uh, we shouldn't be afraid of this. Uh, we should rejoice in it because you are a loving shepherd and you've drawn us in and we're about those works. Thank you for this church. It is deeply charitable and very kind. Let us be even more charitable, generous and kind. Thank you for these people. For the most part, I know many of them. They are very generous and, 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 and uh, passionate and uh, charitable and loving. Let us be even more so. Let us trust you. You'll come back that you will find us faithful and say to us, good done, uh, well done, my good and faithful servant. Welcome into the kingdom and enjoy my presence. We pray it in Jesus' name for his glory. And together we all say, amen.